Good fucking morning, Montreal. It is Tuesday, December the 5th. Where in the fuck did 2017 go? It's almost in the books. I don't know how your year was. I had a very quiet summer, fun fall. Looking forward to another ski season. Hoping it won't be anything like the last two years, especially two years ago. It was fucking brutal. German for not very good. And uh, yeah, we're going to kick it off today with a little Deep Purple. We're going to pull out the old vinyl recording machine head. Here it is, a little smoke on the water. Empty, cold and bare, but when the road. 
Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're having a fun commute in. This is the voice of reason. Um, we're based in Montreal, but I'm happy to rant about anything going on anywhere in the world. Right now, we do have a, a bunch of interesting things going on in Quebec with a provincial election looming next year. We're having uh, all kinds of weird and wonderful quotes being passed along to us from our wonderful politicians in Quebec City. And we did just have a municipal election also. So there are interesting things going on in Montreal as well. But again, if something happens elsewhere in the world, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dive right into those topics also. That being said, Montreal and Quebec are, are always an interesting study. They're, uh, I'm sure every city in the Western world thinks it's super special for one reason or another. And I'm sure that is true. Montreal, though, does have a few things going on that a lot of these other cities don't have. The main cause of our being a distinct society, as it were, is the fact that there are two almost identical cultures living in the same area, but somehow have fed off of their differences and the, the, the main difference mainly being their language in Montreal you kind of have half the people are French and half the people are English I don't know what the actual stats are but you go into a store downtown Montreal along St. Catherine Street or wherever and I, I, I would say roughly half the conversations you hear around you are in English half are in French maybe a little more French and with the way the government has um, directed non-Anglophone kids into the Francophone school system, you'll see uh, a young Asian couple walking by and they'll be talking French. Um, so yeah, that, that... So when I was growing up, I had a part-time job uh, when I was in school up until age 20 or whatever. And... That was in Lachine, and roughly half the customers would walk through the door would be French, and half would be English, and you just spoke the language of the customer. Going in there as a young kid, maybe 12 years old, I had a little bit of high school French, but I was by no means bilingual. But you figure it out. You figure out over time that Cordalinge is... Uh, as a clothesline, and a nail is a clue, and a screw is a vis, and you say bonjour as often as they say hello, and after a while, it's just, you know, it's a nothing. The fact that it ever got turned into a something has only ever been to the detriment of the provincial and municipal economies. There is an inevitable drift towards the English language in the business community. It's unavoidable. Businesses consolidate. Little mom and pop donut shops and coffee shops are slowly eroded and replaced by Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is a national company. I'm sure the franchises themselves in Montreal are full of French-speaking people and French is alive and well there. 
but as soon as you leave the actual retail location you go into the corporate structure of that company it will inevitably be an English working environment you go into the Montreal Canadiens locker room I know the coach is a French speaking coach but that team is coached in English so as I say there's a certain inevitability to all of this and still politicians in Quebec I don't know what the challenge is because if you were a straightforward person a pragmatic person an honest person uh, someone living in the state of reality not the state of denial it, there is no way to admit anything other than that fact forcing a random French agenda down people's throats results in nothing good and with a provincial election looming next year we have this new little resolution that came out of Quebec City that has no real binding effect on any business it's not a law you're not forced to do it but they're they're trying to encourage businesses to do away with the old bonjour hi and just say bonjour because everyone visitors or not uh, anglophone or francophone or anything else if you're visiting Montreal you know what bonjour means and there's a a small logic to that but the net effect of this is that people roll their eyes anglophones feel disrespected smart francophones say no not in my business we're not going to do that if half my customers are french and half my customers are english i'm going if i know them i'm just going to start with the proper language and if not bonjour hi works just fine and as best we can we are going to serve all customers in the language of their choice no businessman does not say that not in montreal they don't anyways so anecdotally without diving into any censuses or studies or whatever you just know that people who are smart educated upwardly mobile um what's the word i'm looking for ambitious these kind of people are going to say what am i doing here the jobs are not here we have net job losses why would i stay here head offices are not here if i want to have a better corporate job um i have to move and lo and behold guess what's been going on so two censuses ago so pre 2011 montreal did or quebec i guess did experience a net population loss the rate of that loss doubled to roughly 7000 people a year in quebec <clears throat> now that's just the surface number so that's not good 7000 losing 7000 people a year to other provinces so these are people who used to live in quebec now reside in a different province losing 7000 people a year that way obviously not good 
a quick aside, during that same census period, Quebec's population did grow by 200,000 people overall. Now, where did those people come from? They're immigrants. Those immigrants, for the most part, are moving to North America. They're not hoping to join the French culture. I'm using air quotes when I say that. They're just moving to North America. Dig a little deeper. I moved, so again, I'm going to give you some anecdotal stuff. And then when we dig deep, we're going to see, no, it's not anecdotal. That's really what's going on. So in 1990, I moved to BC with my wife, two young children, and basically for the next 25 years, I had my most productive working career. I have worked since then, and I did work in the years before moving to BC, but I started a company, raised a family, coached hockey, had two cars, had three kids, the house, the backyard, all that stuff, all that productivity happened in BC and I wasn't the only one who left I looked around me back in those days I was in residential real estate and all I was doing was moving upwardly mobile people out of this area to Ontario so I was basically saying goodbye to all my clients so in residential real estate what you want to do is you want to start in your late 20s early 30s you want to put people into little houses and condos and townhouses and duplexes and whatnot. And as they move up the corporate ladder, you move them out of their small place into a bigger place, into their final, this is where I'm going to raise my family kind of thing. Then you want to know their kids. And yeah, my dad's realtor is going to help me find my first little starter house in Pierrefonds or whatever it is. That's not what was happening. I was just saying, goodbye. See ya. Good luck in Toronto goodbye goodbye see you over and over and over again it was it was depressing I was actually making a living and I'm sure if I had just stayed and kept doing that I would have been making a living but the point that was being driven into my head was this is not where things are happening this is a wonderful city we lived in uh, in Lachine West beautiful lakeshore good schools everything was fine we had nothing to really complain about other than this feeling in the pit of my stomach that things were going to go badly here. Things were going badly. There was a lot of political upheaval. The PQ would come and go and they'd threaten referendums. And I'm like, why? Like, do I want those 25 years of raising my family to be in this environment? And we said, look at it this way. We can go to BC. We can see how it goes and after a year or two if it's not going well or we're like no there's no place like home we can come back so we didn't look at it as we're leaving fuck you Montreal two middle fingers on the way down the 401 we didn't look at it like that at all we're like we could we can come back so we get the BC does work out um, we do make a life there we do raise our family there and it was wonderful but I have four sisters and a brother. I've got three kids. They are all either Montreal or Toronto. I have one son who's in Toronto. Everybody else stayed in Montreal. And after I got divorced in 2007, I found myself very alone. I looked around and I'm like, the world did not end in Montreal. 
I've got four sisters there, my brothers there, all their families are there. I'm missing every Sunday dinner, every birthday, every whatever. And I was kind of winding down my career also. And I said, ah, I think it's time to go home. I want to be at those Sunday dinners. Um, the other issue with being in Vancouver was if you had bought your house back in the day and you were still in that house, Vancouver is, was a very affordable place to live. I think we paid $260,000 for our house back then, which if we'd been in Montreal, I think we could have got a similar house for $80,000. It was a lot of money, but it was affordable to us. I was making good money. So we could afford to live there. If you get divorced and you have to sell your house and you split everything down the middle and you try and start over again, well, when all that was kind of coming around, real estate had gone from $260,000 to $500,000 and it was heading for seven fifty, and now it's over a million dollars for the kind of house we used to live in. Well, I didn't have a million dollars and I did not want a million dollars worth of mortgage. Say I, I put down $100,000, $900,000 mortgage for a 50-year-old guy, like you're still going to be paying that sucker off when you're 80 years old well that's not and you're and your house poor so in my situation I looked at coming back as a very doable move and I could afford to buy probably even a nicer house and pay way less than I had paid initially probably depending on where I moved to and that's exactly what I did I came back for for family and for quality of life Another friend of my sister and her husband did virtually the identical move. He moved out there around the same time as me. Same as me, he started a business and he did very well. Unlike me, he never got married, so never got divorced, never had to split up all his assets or whatever. And he moved back about a year ago or so. So he also stayed in his house and maxed out the real estate money. I think they might have sold their house for $1.3 million. Well, they bought an NDG, beautiful red brick detached house on a corner lot, all the old woodwork, a detached garage, absolutely fantastic location, the exact house they wanted. And I, I don't know if they spent 800 thousand dollars on it now obviously if they had gone farther out of town they would have been able to pocket a million dollars they didn't they had they had enough money that putting five hundred thousand dollars in the bank on price differential was tons so they moved back too now he's around the same age as me a tiny bit older but he's not coming back here and going into the department store and buying clothes for his kids. He's not buying a new minivan and hockey gear for his kids. He's retired. He has an old car, an old Mercedes in his garage, and he goes out there and works on it. He's a, he's a retired mechanic. He had his own shop out in Port Moody, BC, a suburb of Vancouver. So he moved back and he gave somebody selling an NDG $800,000 and a real estate agent made a commission and 
movers movement you know there was some incidental economic benefit for him initially coming here but once he's here he's not that kind of consumer he's living on what he's squirreled away for his retirement and no more so he was probably a great consumer out in bc when he was making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year but now he's probably trying to live on a thousand bucks a week or less and it's yeah obviously he's buying groceries and cutting a check to the city for taxes and there's money being spent but it's not the kind of economic activity that drives an economy i'm the exact same way i'm pretty much retired i drive part-time on uber when my house and i'm out in the country when my house is rented out on the weekends i go into town and stay with my sister and i drive for uber and between the two of them i'm trying to do that i'm trying to live on around a thousand bucks a week i'm trying to make a thousand dollars a week and live on that so i'm being careful what i buy for groceries and i you know i'm not i'm not spending any money i don't have to spend i, I go to the second hand shop i go to the church rummage sale i look on kijiji um i want to ski four times a week in the winter so i go down to sutton which is just down the road from where i am here out in the eastern townships and I get a part-time job on lift operations so that I get a free ski pass. So again, that's very different from a couple coming out here on the weekend. Well, for instance, renting my place on Airbnb, going down to Sutton, buying four or five ski passes or four or five lift tickets if they go somewhere different every weekend, buying groceries at the grocery store and you know, getting new poles and getting their bindings adjusted and there's money being spent that it's those young families that kind of drive the economy. Me and my buddies retired moving back from BC. Yeah, that's good. And that, you know, helps offset that 7,000 people a year loss to other provinces figure. But that 7,000 is a funny number because when i read that we're losing seven thousand people a year here in quebec that's combined anglophones and francophones and i know i moved back i know gary and anna moved back well anna's not from here but gary moved back and brought his you know his wife his new wife with him not they had never had an old wife but you know what i mean they came back i came back and I'm like, how many other people are doing that math where if you cash out of Vancouver, cash out of Calgary even, cash out of Toronto, certainly, and come back here where you might have a bunch of family, some roots, and the ability to go skiing for cheap and to have a cottage for cheap. And your your real estate is half the price, so you put a swack of dough in the bank. Or you can upgrade. You can spend the same amount of money, but you sold a piece of crap and Port Moody and what you moved into is a, a mansion in Uchimo. whatever there are people that it makes economic and sociological sense for them to come back and those people are older Anglos not necessarily Anglos but that's a thing and now that the PQ is kind of a they're in third place in the polls or whatever it's okay maybe no referendum for the next little while or whatnot but then you're still down 7,000 people a year. You're like, okay, what's going on? I'm like, you know what's going on? Is the people that are finishing university, 
and they're ambitious and they're aggressive and they're hardworking and they're adventurous and they're not shy to move. They're not worried about a new environment. And they just, they don't want to hear grandpa's story about the death of the, the French language, which is not occurring, by the way. They just want to get going. They want to buy a house. They want to marry their girlfriend. They want to marry their boyfriend. They want a backyard. They want to get pregnant. They want to have kids. They want a good job. They want to work super hard and do a great job and move up the ladder or save up enough money to buy their own Tim Hortons franchise or Canadian Tire Store or whatever. These are the people that are leaving. So... I dig a little bit deeper into the census numbers and lo and behold, there is a gigantic net loss in young Quebecers aged 25 to 34, exactly as I suspected. The future of our province are saying, fuck this, I'm out of here. Now, they might come back, but they'll probably do something like what I did. And that's go somewhere, stay there for 25 years. That's where they're going to have the house. That's where they're going to have the family. That's where they're going to have the two cars. That's where they're going to buy all the gasoline. That's where their kids are going to play minor hockey. That's all going to happen somewhere else. So instead of going to the local arena in Lachine or Dorval or Point Claire or Beaconsfield or wherever... And having, you know, 15 novice age teams. And this is not anecdotal at all. This is happening. In the West Island, where all the minor hockey teams used to just be chock-a-block full of little hockey players. No. Two, three teams now. They're merging associations. They're, you know, they're very, very, very thin. Now, some of that is because people wanted more real estate and they moved off the island to Vaudreuil. Like if you've driven down the, the 20 or the 40 between 4 and 7 p.m. heading west across the Tour Bridge, that kind of stuff. My goodness. The people that have obviously moved to Vaudreuil, it's staggering. Now, I don't see a lot of empty houses in the West Island. Like There are people there, but it's a, it's a big shift in demographics. So the people that are staying in the West Island... Again, very anecdotally, are more um, older, empty nesters. Kids are gone or kids are almost gone. It's most markedly not that young family, 32 years old, just had their first kid. They're, they're going to join the Point Claire Hockey Association or whatever. Now, as the kids get older, while I somehow landed on minor hockey... Another very interesting thing is going on in, in minor hockey. When I grew up in the West Island, we played minor hockey. Everyone played minor hockey. When I was in Bantam, we had a Bantam double-A team, which was the, the top 15 kids in Bantam. And these kids were unbelievably fantastic. Everyone that was left, say it was 10 teams worth of kids, which it probably was, you had five teams that played A house and five teams that played B house. So all the real good kids, but you weren't quite able to crack the top 15. You all played in one big strong grouping. And the kids that otherwise would probably never be able to touch a puck because 
the strong guys would own those games. They played B, and it was it was a fantastic setup. And you'd have a lot of your, you know, it, would be, it wouldn't be cut up this way, but the net fallout would likely be the first year kids played a lot of the B house, and your second year kids played a lot of the A house and whatnot. So that has been completely eroded by private coaching in high schools. So now you've got high schools recruiting kids out of minor hockey and basically picking off all the top kids, giving them, uh, well, you know, professional coaching and more ice time. And over time, that has really eroded the minor hockey system here in Montreal. Now, all your best hockey players in Bantam go to some high school. My younger boy uh, coaches out at the John Rennie Sportitude program. And he sees it every day. And the head coach for that organization has worked in minor hockey uh, for a long time. And he has always picked off <laughs> the top kids and recruited them into John Rennie. And it's a, it's a great program. It's very affordable. And it's just something that minor hockey never really responded to. And as a result, between young families moving out to Vaudreuil and whatnot, and the high school teams picking off the top talent, the minor hockey system is really in a, in a bit of a shambles right now in Montreal. And it's, it's likely to stay that way. So that's been an interesting little eye-opener for me after having moved back here. Because out west, your hockey associations are, are still ruling the day. In fact, the strongest hockey associations every year will have people moving, even if it's just temporarily. They'll rent a house in the catchment of the hockey association where they want their kids to play because they want to play on the strongest team. So you're doing this when you've got top-tier kids and you're trying to get them into the junior A system out there where they'll get a look from a Div 1 U.S. university. And, uh, yeah, it's still very much like that out here. Where here, everything seems to have switched over to high school. It was interesting because I was out in Cowansville the other day and I just happened to pop into the arena out there as I want to do. I'll, I'm an arena popper into her. And I go in there and there's a high school game going on. I, I guess it was, um, I'm thinking it was midget age kids. So it was Stansted playing Massey Vanier, the high school out in Cowansville. So two English schools. But this is high school hockey in the middle of a school day. So I'm not watching minor hockey. I'm watching... High school hockey. Well, the association that my boys came up in out in Vancouver is called Semiamu Minor Hockey Association because the hockey association is located on the Semiamu Peninsula. It's basically as far south as you can go from Vancouver and still call yourself a suburb. We could throw a baseball into the excited states from the beach where where we live. It's actually a, a weird combination of uh, a municipality called White Rock and the southern part of one of the biggest cities in, in BC or it might, it's probably the second biggest city in BC, Surrey. So there's a southern part of Surrey and people, it's funny, people live in South Surrey and they, they'll put White Rock on their return address when they mail stuff if people are still mailing things anymore. Anyways, where was I going with this? The kids grew up 
out there and they went and played hockey in, in minor hockey. And anyways, I lost my train of thought. But back to the demographic shift. So with 7,000 people as a net loss and a big chunk of them, a very big chunk of them, being the people that are going to be tasked with growing your economy, they're kind of saying, I don't know when we'll be back. See you later, mom and dad. They're just heading down the highway. They're going to, I think, primarily Ontario, which that makes a lot of sense because, you know, Royal Bank moves their head office there. Well, there's, you know, 50,000 grade A corporate jobs. So that, that kind of stuff has been happening for 40 years and that's where they all went. They just went a little bit down the highway so they didn't have to deal with the French stupidity and that they only went as far as they had to go. If you go, if you haven't been to Toronto since the 70s, which I'm assuming some of you out there haven't been, you just live your life wherever you live your life. Why go to Toronto if you don't have to? If you have, I hadn't been in a while. I went to Toronto after a couple decades and that city is a monstrosity. I don't know how many people, it's got to be at easily double the size of Montreal or triple even. And it just, it's cement and asphalt and brick and it just you start hitting that asphalt and that concrete man and you can drive for an hour to two hours and you're just driving through the city driving through you ever drive through chicago chicago is the same thing you hit the bottom end of chicago and you got to come out the other end you do that in the middle of the day you're just crawling for about 25 miles and it takes you hours toronto's the same way you hit toronto at the wrong time and you just crawl through the city that never ends. It just goes and goes and goes. Montreal, yeah, we have our traffic issues, but it, I'm talking about the, the physical dimensions of it. And they just keep tacking on another suburb and another suburb, and that suburb grows and grows and grows. I, I like to, uh, okay, I'll do this for you guys one time. I'm sure you're already sick of hearing about Toronto, but I'm going to look up how many people lived in Toronto in 1970. Then I'll do 1980, 1990, 2000, uh, bring it right up to date. And I'll only use the federal government census data, so I won't, uh, I'm not going to make anything up. There'll be no anecdotal, blah, blah, blah. So when I hear this bonjour, hi, bullshit, I roll my eyes. Then I say, you're just going to drive young people away. Now, if you just say this to someone, they're going to be, no, that's not going to happen. Well, guess what, people? The census numbers are out. And guess what? The young people are leaving. Not the Anglophone young people are leaving. The young people are leaving. Unbelievable. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know why people aren't more outraged when they hear stuff like this. We need, with email today, surely to goodness, everyone should have in their email database the email address of their MLA or MP or city councilor, whatever. Put it in your Outlook or your Gmail, whatever you're using. Put it, in, and when you see something like that, fire off an 
email and don't pull any punches. If you are like, well done, good job, we need more action like this, say it. If you're like, what in the fuck are you people doing in Quebec City? You guys are fucking retarded. I am, if I could fire you right now, I would, but I'm going to have to wait until next year so that I can fire you with my vote because that's what my intention is. Anyways, politicians are, uh, I mean, we don't live in the worst place in the world. We we could, Montreal could be the best place in the world. Between accessibility to cottage country and lakes and hunting and skiing and swimming and boating and canoeing and hiking and cross-country skiing and the joie de vivre that just is a current running through the city of Montreal. We should be the best place on the planet to live. That being said, it's not the best place on the planet. We're working on it. Maybe we'll get there one day. We'll see. Get rid of these fucktards in Quebec City. Get some people that know what the fuck is up in there. And let's get going. In the meantime, there's something about our political system. And it's not just... I'm not, Now I'm not picking on Quebec anymore. Or Canada. Or United States. The way our democracy is set up somehow seems to bizarrely attract people who are their only real talent is speaking guessing at what people want them to say getting elected and getting reelected those are their that's the skill set of the people we elect like Donald Trump is a perfect example of that he he has zero skill set for running a country zero absolutely not he's a real estate guy he has uh, a great talent for cobbling together. I love that word cobbling. Eh? It's the second time I used it today. Cobbling together, third time. Cobbling together pieces of land um, and financial backers and getting real estate projects off the ground and then grinding contractors into the dirt for when it comes time to pay them. That's what his talent is. How that could possibly translate to running a, a country, I, I have absolutely... No idea. Like you need to study uh, urban planning and society and evolution of human beings and like where were we, where are we, where are we going, all those kinds of things. How do you move people? How do you get people to uh, band together to move in a direction? We used to have, live in little villages of 100 people. Now we live in little villages of 5 million people. Well, we're not... We did not um, genetically mutate into people that thrive in that kind of situation in the last uh, thousand years. We, we just didn't. That, that, that did not occur. There's very little change. We're basically the same animal we were a thousand years ago, but we're, we're, our evolution at the moment is societal. It's not physical. We still have five fingers and five toes and the same nose we had back then and the same skin tone and everything we're roughly the same height little some improvements in nutrition as we're creeping up in the size department or whatever so we're electing these people with 
absolutely no skills whatsoever, no training whatsoever. They obviously don't know how to handle money. They don't know how to handle society. They think, I believe they think they know what's best for us, whether we agree or not. I don't know. There's a, just these people are so weird. I have come to the realization that anything any politician says ever must be looked at through the lens of how why do they think I want to hear this or how do why do they think the majority of people want to hear this that's all they say is what they think more people want them to say they're not no one no one is saying what they believe they just don't do that that doesn't happen the best thing we could possibly do uh, say say we're a group of politicians we all just got elected the best thing we could do is go attack the say we're provincial we go attack the provincial budget and we cut it in half we eliminate all the waste and over time we get rid of everyone who's not really doing anything another pet peeve of mine because you as soon as you create a job or hire someone or sometimes the job has just been around for 25 years and now that job doesn't really exist anymore because maybe your job was to open the mail well that that job you know i'm making it a simple example but you know what i mean once that job is there though that person now has seven and a half eight hours of time that must be filled with something that makes them look like they're actually doing something. The world is full of these people. Lawmakers are the worst example. Now you've hired these lawmakers, they go into the lawmaking building and they set to making laws. Well, what if our laws are fine the way they are? That's too bad. You hired us to make laws. We're going to sit here and make laws for the next four years, man. We're just going to make laws eight hours a day. And we're going to work on these bills. We're going to debate these bills. We're going to talk about these bills. We're going to make these stupid fucking bonjour high resolutions. And what I hired you to go in there. That's what they did for a week, these fucktards. They talked about this for a week. A we I want to know what do they make? hundred grand a year? How many of them are there? hundred do the do the math on that back it out divide it by let's give them four weeks solid divide it by 48 what did we pay these fucktards how much money did we pay them to debate and come up with that stupid fucking resolution that couldn't you couldn't have come up with a worse resolution for our economy by the way you couldn't have come up with a worse resolution uh, unless your goal is to get that loss of 7,000 people a year up to 10,000 people a year and let's let's start getting the 23 year olds and 24 year olds too let's start losing university kids let's get people saying fuck this i'm out of here i'm not even going to university here i'm going somewhere else now people will say that and if montreal isn't the best place on the planet to go to university i don't know what is 
that's the only thing that's saving them right now. Because I guarantee you, kids would be gone at 20. They'd just say, I'm out of here. Do my CJAP, apply to university, get into the best one I can, and off I go. I'm, I'm out of here. They would. They would absolutely do that. Anyways, that's got to be my rant for today. I'm going to spin a couple more platters for you. Play some tunes, come back. We'll wrap up uh, with a bit of sports and some weather. And that, my friends, will be that. So much better now, a little happiness from the Rolling Stones. And now, some stepping balls. Why don't you go ahead and turn it up to 11? Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Yeah, darling, go make it happen Take the world in a loving place Fire all of the guns across the sun Explode into space 
Just got to pay a few bills here first, and then we'll come back with our sports recap, a little weather, and then you guys can get out of the car, get into work, get off the train, out of the bus, leave the metro, get out of your Uber, whatever it was you were doing, however it was you were commuting, wherever you were going to. I hope your commute was enjoyable, and we helped it uh, be enjoyable. You know what else is enjoyable? Having uh, having orgasms. That's right. What you want to that end is a pleasure commander. Now, pleasure commander is a vibrating bullet. You can get it at Amazon.ca. Just type right in there, pleasure commander. Listeners of this show, if you buy a pleasure commander between now and Christmas, you will also receive a bonus toy, an Orb 2, which is a little waterproof uh, two-speed thing uh, think about the size of a pocket rocket somewhere along there so that's right go to amazon.ca buy a pleasure commander and get a bonus orb two with your purchase now i got me a couple little bullet points here ha 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 pun intended 
What makes the Pleasure Commander different from a regular everyday bullet? Well, first of all, in the old days, you'd get this big egg-shaped thing with a cheap-ass plastic controller with a little dial. And yeah, it shook and it vibrated, but after you know a couple of weeks, it was garbage. The wire where it went into the egg, you could see right in there. There's a big gaping hole. And if you ever tried to move it, basically these things, you have to hold them by the wire. The wires just pull out their garbage. They're, that's the old days. That's your grandmother's vibrator. It was a novelty. The Pleasure Commander is not a novelty. It is the real deal. You go to the sexual wellness section of Amazon.ca, type in Pleasure Commander, and you're going to see it. As soon as you see it, you're going to see what I'm talking about. This is not a novelty quality product. It's got a soft velour cover to it where the wire goes in. You've got this little white uh, waterproof cap. So the wire gets grabbed a hold of by this little cap. Then it goes into the bullet. It's watertight, which makes it perfect for internal use or external use. Cleanup is a snap, little soap and water, boom, you're done. This item is unbelievable. I tried it. My girlfriend tried it. We loved it. It was fantastic. Never seen anything like it. My, it was so strong, my arm actually started to go numb uh, after a little while. We got this little uh, rubber band to, to just kind of strap it against my fingers. It was, uh, it's amazing. Anyways, it's got 10 preset functions. Let's say here the first three are, that's right, they were low, medium, and high. So you hit the up button three times, you're on high, and you're just off to the races. Bam. It's a, it's a rocket. The other seven functions are where it gets really cool. So four, five, and six have these little pulsing and surging sensations where the, the vibration goes up, and then it comes down, and it goes up, and then it comes down. And then the last three are what they call roller coaster functions. They start low, they climb and climb and climb, and they come plummeting back down again. They hit lows, they go up, they go only a little bit up, and then all the way down, up and down. And the idea of what you're supposed to do, when we tried this and we were able to do it, it, it was a, a whole new thing for me. And what you want to do is kind of use the low, medium, and high settings during foreplay to kind of get yourself close to orgasm, which my girlfriend was able to do. It was just amazing. She got really close, and then we put it on one of the roller coaster functions, and when she orgasmed, it took her orgasm on this roller coaster ride. I'm telling you, it, this thing, it should come with uh, a trowel and plaster because I had to scrape her off the ceiling. It was uh, it was that amazing. Anyway, so go to Amazon.ca, get yourself a Pleasure Commander. And also, if you are a hockey player, a beer league player, rec player, house league player, rep player, high school hockey player as we discussed earlier it was uh, John Rennie kids out there in Point Claire you want your skates sharpened you want them done properly go to profile hockey in the Bob Bernie arena it's downstairs right in front of that uh, sheet of ice that's down there so you got the the cafeteria lunch counter thingy snack bar upstairs right below that there's a viewing area with some vending machines and you've got profile hockey set up in there. These guys do not muck about. They are very scientific in their approach to sharpening skates. Nothing is left to chance. It's all 
done by machine. Everything is double measured. You will never, never mind a flat spot. You will never get the outer edge and the inner edge not completely, completely level. They only have one standard of service. That is the gold standard. No pair of skates leave that shop ever without an absolutely perfect sharpen and they do it perfect every time. Now you're a beer league player. Hey, you wanna look good. The lady's gonna come out to watch you maybe on a Friday night. Uh, you wanna pot a couple of goals, you gotta look good out there. You can't be looking like a doofus with, oh, I got a flat, oh, my edge is ruined. I, you know, every third stride you take when you hit your inside edge on your right skate, you're slipping a bit and you're like, fucking, fucking skate sharpen fucker fuckers. That has happened absolutely zero times ever to anyone who has ever got their skate sharpened at Profile Hockey. They are just fantastic. They are the best. They only do it one way, and they do it that way every time. That way is absolutely perfect. Get your skate sharpened at Profile Hockey. Okay, I know I promised we'd do a little sports roundup, but it's been a quiet couple of days. I don't even know if we should bother. What I'll do is I'll reel off the standings in the NHL, the CFL, who gives a fuck, yeah, NFL, I haven't been doing much lately either, kind of a boring last couple of weeks, things will start heating up, the playoff races and that kind of stuff, so we will get into a little NFL later, Habs are, I was going to rant on the Habs today and then they fucking reeled off five in a row and beat up on Detroit they beat them 10 to 1 to to get their fifth straight win they've uh, maybe turned it around I don't know I know they got Shea Weber back um, Carey Price looking like the old Carey Price so if that stays that way and I mean Pacioretty's got to understand that he's a bull he's got to play like a bull if he's not playing like a bull he's not doing his job he's not contributing what he has to contribute he has to go hard to the net he has to be he's a big body he's got to get in people's way he's got to pick off passes he's got to anticipate plays he's got to be a thorn in the other team's side if and he's been doing that lately so i'm happy to see that uh, the five in a row doesn't seem real and the the 10-1 over Detroit is like surreal. And incidentally, it's about 22 years ago. Remember that game Patrick Waugh was embarrassed and he, uh, they, we were cheering when he made a, you know, a routine, not even a save. I think it was on a dump in or something. He stopped the puck and we, we razzed him. And then... Uh, Mario, Mario Tremblay, fucking genius that he was, refused to pull him out of the net and put the back. It was so so weird. And he just walked past Ronald Corey, I think, at the time. So, and them never playing for the you fuckers again. And that was it. And he went and won a couple of Stanley Cups with Colorado when we, uh, we entered our drought era. So Tampa Bay continues to be the class of the East. 38 points. Toronto... I had their little stumbling time and now they've got Austin Matthews back and they are just steamrolling opponents again, 35 points. This is how bad the Atlantic division is after Tampa Bay and Toronto. That was me burping, by the way. 
So Tampa 38, Toronto 35, Montreal five games ago were so far out of it, they were basically debating whether they were going to be sellers or not already. They were like kicking tires on draft picks and prospects uh, on other teams and wondering, looking down the roster, who we got in the last year of their contract and who's costing us a lot of money. And, you know, they were saying, ah, this is it. And then they they pulled off this five-game, really surprising five-game streak. And um, so they've obviously stopped that. But in five games, they went from were sellers to third place in the Atlantic Division with 29 points. 29 points. Now, this is, again, how bad the Atlantic Division is. In any other division, they are not in a playoff spot. If uh, you were in the Metropolitan Division, you would need 33 or better. If they fell out of third spot and dropped back into the wild card race, they are not even close. They'd be one ahead of Boston, who's got 28. New York Rangers would be ahead. Washington would be ahead. New York Islanders would be ahead. None of whom would Montreal catch. So, obviously, looking at this one, I would say the two New York teams would get in, Washington would be in third, and Montreal and Boston would be duking it out for, you know, well, I'm not going to pull the plug and get a higher draft pick. You pull the plug. I'm not, you know, so they'd be stuck in the stupid, I get a shitty draft pick zone. If you were in the Central Division, Western Conference, it's even worse. Winnipeg, 36 points. St. Louis, 36 points. Nashville, 35 points. Again, these three teams are all clearly a, a full tier above where the Montreal Canadiens are right now. I'd rather see them lose and get a high draft pick and um, get rid of fucking Julien and uh, don't let the door hit Bergeron in the ass on the way out. L.A. in the Pacific Division, you've got L.A. with 35 points. No, no shock there. Las Vegas Knights, 31 points. And at the moment, in second place in the Pacific Division. How incredible is that? Now, if you were a GM and you looked at the roster Las Vegas has right now, would you have said, as a general, would you have said, I can probably make trades to get those players? Would you have done so? No. There's not one general manager in the NHL that would have made those 25 trades to assemble that team, which would have been very doable. And you'd be in second place in your division? Unbelievable. San Jose solid again with their 30 points, but a Pacific division and the Atlantic division, they're both kind of, well, you don't have to be uh, superstars to get into the playoffs. Here and you're not going to make a lot of noise. The the, the teams that are going to be the the noisemakers this year clearly are the Winnipeg, St. Louis, Nashville, your New Jerseys, your Torontos, your Tampa Bay's. That's that's where it's at. Montreal is just guaranteeing a, a middle of the pack draft pick again. And I would rather. Montreal did exactly what Vancouver did. Jim Benning, Trevor Linden, they did, they swallowed the 
horrible tasting pill. They went into the owner's office and said, uh, we need good youth or we're done. Daniel and Henrik are aging. Super thrilled to have them on our team. They're, they're going to play somewhere in the 10 to 15 minute range this year. That's not going to win us very many hockey games. It'll be a fantastic 10 or 15 minutes. But now they're second, third line guys. It's fantastic to have those guys, but we need a first line. They tanked. They sold off guys in their prime. Uh, Ryan Kessler gone. Kevin Bieksa gone. Uh, Alex Burroughs gone just gone gone traded 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 didn't didn't resign or traded off these guys while they were still solid hockey players still big contributors uh along with the Sedins, you've got the core of a really good team if they were able to get a couple of solid additions to their defensive core they could have kept challenging for division titles and stuff like that for another five years they said then you go off a cliff though because you've had shit for draft picks for going on 20 years. I said, we have, to, we have to swallow that pill. We have to take our medicine. They went right into the tank. Unfortunately for them, they didn't do that well in the draft lottery. But their scouts did a good job. They got their hands on Brock Besser and some other players. Look at Vancouver right now. If the playoffs started today, they'd be in. One-year quasi-tank. One year complete tank, one year finish worst. I think they were second worst uh, record in the NHL last year. And the, but they did what they had to do. Then they went out. They got their top end talent. These young kids are playing twenty plus minutes. First unit power play, first line guys. Your Bo Horvats and these guys. They are. A, you get a chance to watch a Vancouver game. I know. You know the way I do it is I wait. Till they do their East Coast swing or their their Pennsylvania Toronto swing or something like that, you'll get a Minnesota Detroit, uh, Pittsburgh Philadelphia, four game or road trip or whatever. Then you'll get them playing at eight o'clock or what, they're watchable. You know, starting your starting your hockey game at ten thirty at night and you're going eleven thirty, twelve thirty, one o'clock. That's tough. It's not easy to do. Yeah, I know. I got a PVR. I got three of them, but. You PVR that game, you're going to come home the next day and, and watch it. You're going to get up super early and watch it. No, it's hockey. You get a little bowl of ruffles. You get three Coors Light. You put one of the Coors Light in the freezer and a glass in the freezer. The other two, just leave them in the fridge. First period, you go get that beer just before it turns to a beer sickle. You put in that ice cold glass. You have some little salty ruffles chips. Oh. Then, beginning of the second period, you put the second beer into the freezer. The third beer to the front of the ledge. Boom, boom, boom. Second bit of that bowl of chips. And then you get this ice cold beer, salty chips, and hockey. Every period gets more exciting. By the time you get that third beer into you and the hockey is like ratcheted up in a close game. That's the best. That's the way you watch hockey. You don't PVR it and then watch it skipping, skipping, skipping and fast forward and nothing happens. You know, you can watch. You might as well just subscribe to the uh, NHL package on your iPad or whatever. And you can watch every game recapped, edited down to a, a six minute segment. So anyways, Vancouver, fun to watch. Uh, Chicago, if, if you ever 
doubted the value of guys' contribution to the success of a hockey team just by virtue of who they are, not necessarily what they do. You need to look no further than the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes, with the cap system, you can't keep everybody. But they lost guys and were able to replace them, and they kept winning Stanley Cups. Now, then they started to lose guys they could have afforded to keep bizarrely your your shaws and your sads and uh, that kind of those kind of players and i was like eh, you know you had a thing that was really working well and i get that you had to lose by fuglian but did you have to lose shaw like i think they he was an affordable keep and somehow I think they got they lost their way. They they lost sight of the fact that these guys win because of the way they are collectively. The old analogy I always like to make is um, you, you can believe me or, or don't believe me, but I'm 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 right. I, I'm I'm usually right on these things. I have a good gut instinct for stuff like this. Let's say back in the seventies, there's a guy on the Montreal Canadiens. He sits beside Guy Lafleur in the locker room. And let's say Guy can be surly. He's, a, he, he's admittedly a bit of a loner and a quiet guy and uh, prone to introspection and that. Kind of, let's say there's a guy who sits beside him on the bench and he just, he's got a dry sense of humor, which Guy loves. And he'll just say the funniest shit and he'll just keep Guy Lafleur light enough then he never sinks into some kind of a hole and wallows around in it and hits the ice kind of in a half-hearted manner. When he hits the ice, when this guy's in the locker room, he hits the ice in the most amazing mood ever and has his best games. Now, this guy in the locker, and I'm using Guy Lafleur as a hypothetical example. It could be take any Bond who's a game changer and apply this to them. I'm making all of this up about Guy Lafleur. I'm just, I am, it's, this is all bullshit. But let's say you had a player, he has, he's a, the impact player of a Guy Lafleur type of guy. And there's someone sits beside him in the locker and he keeps him loose and Guy goes out there. And when this guy's in the locker room, they have a 729 winning percentage. This guy's a 20 point a year guy. Yeah, causes, turnovers but maybe his coursey numbers wouldn't be great his plus minus is probably around a zero so he's not jumping all over the score sheet he's not beating people up he's not any of those kinds of things but when you look at the record when he's not in the locker room when he's not dressed for hockey games He's not at practices, he's not playing at games, and he's not sitting beside Guy Lafleur in the dressing room keeping him light. Their record is 6-23. And you do 10-game segments at a time. Every single 10-game segment goes up between 8 and 12. Like you're, you're, you're in the 700s instead of the 600s. The, the, your percentage point, you just go up like that. Instead of winning 
72% of your games, you only win 63%. Like, it's a big difference. It's nine-point nine swing. It's huge. I don't know a coach anywhere, but I suspect Scotty Bowman was like this. And that's why I'm a little surprised at what's going on in Chicago right now. I think Scotty was like this. I don't care what that guy's contribution is on the score sheet. I'm a pragmatist. I'm a I'm a macro guy. I don't care how we win a Stanley Cup. You could have maybe you need two guys like that because you've got someone on the defense or you've got a goalie. Maybe you need a certain backup goalie to keep Carey Price somewhat balanced. Maybe he's too high, he's got to come low. Maybe he's too low, he's got to come high. Maybe he's a little uh, wishy-washy or easily distracted or just something about this person's presence reconciles the difference maker to the point where you win more than you lose and you go up by a significant stat. If I'm the GM, the president, the coach, whatever, I don't care what that guy's contribution is on the ice. I don't even care. His mistakes will be minimized in my eyes because I know I know I'm winning 729 of my games instead of 638. You know, that's that's what really matters. And my gut tells me that's what's happened in Chicago. They lost. They call them glue guys. I don't, I don't even know about glue. I call them guys that make you win more hockey games. Guys that make you win more playoff rounds. Guys that make you win a Stanley Cup. That's all. What else do I care about? I, I care about winning. And I, I want to clinch my division so that my owner gets more home games that's my that's my first priority then i want to win playoff games and i want to have good battles ideally i'd have a seven game series every round so i get my four home games hey this is a business right they're trying to give you entertainment you're trying to give them money that's that's the that's the arrangement we have with our nhl teams here obviously every sport is the same thing but after that all i care about is winning the stanley cup and if I have to have two of these guys who are unremarkable in every discernible way, but we win with them, man, these are the first two guys I'm putting on my team. Now, anyways, I'll stop. So that's our sports recap. We can, we'll can we talk more about the Habs. They'll, they'll have uh, hiccups and bumps, and it'll be fun to beat up on them during the year. I, I, don't, I don't know that they won't make the playoffs, but I know that they won't make any noise in the playoffs. And there was something, something really weird happened last year with the Habs, and I can't put my finger on it, but they ran P.K. Subban out of town. They let Markov go when he was easily signable, and they didn't re-up Radulov. But they did get Drouin. I was like, well, you know, if you had signed Radulov, and he was a signable guy, if you had kept Markov and Subban, look at the team you'd have right now. And believe me, if Pacioretty was the problem, get get rid of Pacioretty. This would be the shortest conversation I'm ever going to have. If it's between P.K. Subban and Max Pacioretty, 
Max is gone. He's just gone. How they came down on P.K. Subban, I have no idea. This is another micro decision as opposed to a macro decision. He goes to Nashville. They make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. We get Shea Weber. I love me some Shea Weber. He's, he's an amazing hockey player. I want him on my team. I just want P.K. Subban more. That's all. He's a better hockey player. Why would you trade for a very similar player with way less energy and I, I want to say he's five years older. So you get five years older as a team. Just something really, really weird. It was, uh, again, it was the, the opposite of, the, of what I was talking about. You can't be micro on an issue like PKC Subban. You have to be macro. Will you win with him? Yeah, but he was late for practice. I don't care. Either change your rule about what happens when you're late for practice or enforce your rule and manage him, coach him. Um, if, if that even did happen, the, the Habs would have you believe there was absolutely no off-ice issue with P.K. Subban. They just thought they were getting better uh, by trading for Shea Weber. You know, change, change up the mix or whatever. Anyways, something weird happened there. Subban gone, Markov gone, Radulov, gone, and all you do is add joy as a kid. Now, if you add joy as a kid and keep those three guys, like, wow, look at us. We're winning our division again, plus maybe we get to the second round. Who knows, right? You get on a roll in the playoffs. Playoffs, by the way, are a whole other thing, right? Everyone, everyone wants to dump on the superstars that suddenly become unproductive in the playoffs. Well, the problem is... You've got, uh, you know, four to seven games to play against these superstars. The only thing the other team is doing is drawing circles around the three difference makers on the team and coaching up their speedy guys to cut off their skating lanes, their passing lanes, their shooting lanes. They harass them. They are worn by the superstars on the other team like a big overcoat sometimes I think uh, Brian Burke famously said one time that Sedine was Swedish for beat me up in the crease or something to that effect well in the playoffs a lot of those guys do get neutralized and that's why because the, everything gets ratcheted up say it gets ratcheted up 20% the speed the intensity the viciousness the competitiveness everything goes up 20% well, the guys defending those superstars, they're up 20% too. And some of those guys, they're not fantastic players because they, they aren't that motivated like a top guy would be. So they've got a lot more. They, can do, they could always do more, but they could never sustain it. In the playoffs, you don't have to sustain it. You just have to do it for a couple of games, a game here and a game there. You alternate. It's, uh, it's possible to shut down a lot of these guys. You want to give credit to anyone... Give it to a superstar who does not get completely shut down when the playoffs roll around. You know, there was a, there was a reason Claude Lemieux, who famously, I'm bad with years, but he was playing for New Jersey. I think they won the Stanley Cup that year. I think he had 20 goals in the regular season and 21 in the playoffs or something like that. And there's a reason for that because he, he was a 20-goal guy. They weren't trying to shut down Claude Lemieux. He ratcheted up his game 35% and sustained it through four rounds of playoffs and won a Stanley Cup. 
Anyways, like I said, nothing happening in the CFL. Not that anybody gives a flying fart. What what is it with them and their stupid salary cap? They they have no superstars in the entire league, and then nobody watches. And they're like, hey, how come no one's watching our game? Well, because you got shit players. So no, who wants to watch them? It's like it's like watching junior hockey. Not even because junior hockey, these guys, the top guys, are one step away from potentially playing in the NHL. So it's not like watching college football in the states. It's it's really it's like it's I don't know. It, it's some third or fourth tier that's not even the best kids. It's the it's the middle nothings. Yeah, it's super strange. Anyways, why don't we uh, play two more songs and then we'll call it a day. You guys can get on with uh, with your productive lives that I know you're all leading and. Uh, again
I forgot about the weather. It's cold, wet, and rainy out. See you tomorrow, fuckers.